Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. At this point, you may be seated. And if you've got a Bible, open it up to 2 Peter chapter 2 as Dick shares with us. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 10a. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there were false teachers among you, who were secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, with condemnation from long ago uh, is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them into chains of gloomy darkness to be kept there until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, the herald of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, be condemned, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what was coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by sensual conduct and the wicked, uh, for as the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented, uh, his righteous soul, over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under, judge, under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in their lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Here ends the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thanks, Dick, for reading that, and uh, worship team for leading us. Uh, we are going to be in that text this morning. As I was listening to Dick read it, I thought... They're going to be frustrated with me this morning because I'm going to mostly hold the hardest parts of that passage till next week. So I'll tell you all about those angels uh, next week, but I really need to lay some groundwork first for this week so we understand it all. But we will get into that in just a moment. Um, we're going to pray. Before we do, I, uh, just a reminder I, that if you were interested in hearing anything at all about the possibility of an Israel trip, uh, we will have a meeting on that. It's been, there's been an announcement in the, in the thing and um, a few people have asked me about that over the years, so there'll be a, a, a kind of a brief sort of a, here's what it might look like meeting after church over in the community room. So if you're interested in that, I uh, just want to make sure that didn't get missed since that's today. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, uh, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this challenging book and the ways you speak to us in, us, in it and through it. Uh, we pray that you will um, really give us minds to understand this morning. Um, there are, this is an important subject. It's one that uh, even when we don't realize it, we're, we're dealing with all the time because we're constantly being asked to assess 
uh, sermons and books and articles and blog posts and tweets and all kinds of stuff. And so um, I, I just want to pray for your help right now for myself and for my brothers and sisters who are listening. Uh, help us to, uh, to hear what you have to say. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Well, I want you to imagine that you're driving here in Atlantic. You're out one afternoon doing some shopping, maybe running some errands you've been saving up. And you're down on 7th Street, down there on the main strip here in town, the commercial strip, down where all the stores are and all that. And as you're driving along, suddenly you hear sirens. And you look up in the mirror and you see there's an ambulance coming up behind you. It's coming up quick. It's, and it's got the, the lights are flashing and its sirens are blaring. And so you're a good citizen, you know what to do, you pull over to the side of the road and, and uh, you, you get safely to the side and that ambulance goes zooming by you. Now as that ambulance goes by with the sirens blaring and the lights flashing, you do not think to yourself, that ambulance is on its way to see some healthy people. Right? It's not on its way to a health fair and they're going to do a presentation about which vitamins to take or something like that. No, you think there must be an emergency, right? Something serious has happened. Maybe there's been a terrible accident. Maybe somebody's having a heart attack. You, you don't know the specifics, but, but you know when you see those lights and you hear those sirens, you know that someone is in danger. That's the tone of 2 Peter chapter 2. That's what we have going on here in this chapter. The lights are flashing, the sirens are blaring because someone's in danger. Except in this case, the someone is us. It's you and me. It's, it's the church. It's the followers of Jesus Christ. We're in danger, in this case, of being deceived. We're in danger of being deceived. That's what Peter talks about. And it's the whole chapter. The whole, the, this letter is only three chapters long, and, and the whole middle chapter is dedicated to this subject. It's dedicated to warning us about this danger and also equipping us to face it. Peter wants to make sure that followers of Jesus are equipped to successfully face the danger of false teaching. And so this fall, uh, how does this fit in our series? This fall, we're looking at what it means to live with sense in serious times. And one of the serious, one of the things that makes our own times so serious, and I would argue that every age, every, every set of times has this issue in one way or another, but we certainly deal with it. One of the issues uh, is that we do live with the danger of false teaching. And so if we're going to live with sense, if we're going to live with spiritual sense, then, then we need to be alert we need to be alert. We need to be equipped. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And then also next week, I'm going to kind of come through this chapter. We're going to go through, uh, I want to go through verses 1 through 10, although we're going to come back to 1 through 10 next week. Kind of, there was so much here. Uh, I'm just shifting some stuff to next week, and it kind of continues to along the same line. So, so this week, and then next week as well, we're looking at this subject. And next week, we'll come at it from a different angle. This morning, I want to talk about the importance of being alert. That's the focus in this passage, uh, we're, or in this sermon. We're going to talk about how to be alert and how important it is to be alert to the danger of false teaching. And I want to come at this by asking two questions. And so the first question is, what are we talking about? What is it? And this is where the, the sermon got away from me a little bit this week in my preparation. Originally, I had three questions we were going to address this morning. But uh, this, this, it takes a little bit to unpack this first question. What are we talking about? And more importantly, what is 
Peter talking about uh, when, when he tells us to, to beware of this, right? So, so we're going to spend some time on that. What qualifies as false teaching from a biblical perspective? And then the second question is, why is it dangerous? Why is it, what, I mean, what's the big deal, right? I mean, it's just ideas. What's the big deal? What's so dangerous about false teaching? So let's tackle these two questions. Let's get into it. Uh, number one, question number one, what is it? What is false teaching? What's the big deal? What, what is it? Right? How do we know? Right? So if we're going uh, to identify something, if we're going to be alert to something, we, we need to know what it is. We need to be able to identify that something when, it, when we run into it. So verse 1 uh, starts out with a warning. We, we open with a warning. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people. Right? So he says, false prophets rose among the people. Uh, let, me, let me stop there and say we're, we're jumping into the middle. We're jumping into the middle of something that Peter is describing. Uh, I know it's a, a new chapter in our Bibles. You know, chapter 2, it's got a new heading. There's a little bold-faced heading there probably in your Bible. Uh, but Peter has no chapter breaks. He has no headings. Uh, he is continuing the conversation that he was in the middle of at the end of chapter 1. And so what were we looking about? What did we talk about last week? What were we looking at at the end of chapter 1? Well, we were talking about the Scripture, right? And so we, we talked about the authority of the apostles, in verses 16, 17, and 18. And you remember, Peter stakes out. He says, we saw it ourselves. We were eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus. And therefore, the reason Peter drills down on that is that he's saying that the teaching we, the apostles, starting with himself, but the others as well, the teaching we brought you uh, came from Jesus, right? We weren't making this stuff up. The teaching comes from Jesus. And the New Testament, we talked about how the New Testament comes to us from the apostles and under apostolic authority. And so we, we trust the New Testament. The New Testament is true. Verses 19 through 20, he goes back to the Old Testament. And we get a principle here for all of Scripture, but verses 19 through 20, he says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so, again, you have... The, the Holy Spirit was working in and through the prophets, men like Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those, those men who wrote the different books in the Old Testament. Um, God didn't just grab their hand and make them write what, what he wanted them to write. The Holy Spirit came a, alongside them and, and beneath them and around them and, and made sure that what they wrote was what he wanted. And so uh, when we put that together, the, the New Testament apostolic witness, the Old Testament God's word from the prophets, we have our Bible, and it's true. Right? So, so that's where we ended. That's where we kind of finished up uh, in, in chapter 1. There were any, any, and the last thing we were just talking about was the, the true prophets, the true prophets who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now Peter says, chapter 2, but there's also going to be false prophets. There's going to be false ones. Just like there were true ones uh, who wrote the Old Testament, so you'll have uh, false ones. So, so there were false ones. And so if you think back, you know, whether you've read a lot of the Old Testament or even just little, little bits and pieces, uh, you know that, that false prophets were a huge problem. Huge problem for Israel. Uh, Israel uh, had this bad habit of drifting away, right? Drifting away and even rebelling against God. And very often when they rebelled against God, there was some false prophet or a group of false prophets who were leading the people astray. And, and that's what he's, he's talking about there. False prophets were a huge problem. They deceived the old covenant people. Now Peter says, look, nothing's changed. Nothing has changed as far as that goes. Now there will be false 
prophets. He's, he's going to call them false teachers, false teachers who will try to deceive the new covenant people. So we're in the same boat as far as that goes with Israel. There were, there were true prophets proclaiming God's word, and there were false prophets trying to lead God's people astray. Now, under the new covenant, there's true teachers, the apostolic witness that we have in the scriptures, and there's false teachers who are trying to lead God's people astray. And so be alert. That's the message. He never says it with a verb, but it's clear that's what he wants us to do. He's saying, tune into this. Be on the lookout for this stuff. Be on the lookout. And then he tells us more. So he's like, all right, you're going to be alert, but what do we, what do we need to be alert for? That's why he's going to spend a whole chapter on it. So he, he tells us more. He says, there will be false teachers among you who will, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Destructive heresies. And, and I'm going to stop and, and talk about this word a little bit, this phrase, especially the, the heresies part. Destructive is just the adjective. tells you what they do. They destroy. But that word heresies that he uses here is really the, the key to understanding uh, what we're talking about. If we want to understand what God's warning us about here and what he wants us to do with it, we need to know what we're talking about. We also need to know what we're not talking about so that we're not kind of focused too broadly on what we're being told here. So heresy. What is a heresy? Right, you always hear this word. You know, what's a, what's a heresy? Uh, the word, the, the, the Greek word he uses here, uh, in its most basic sense, the word basically means a choice or a faction or a party, like a, a political party or, you know, not like a, or a religious party, not like a party, you know, have fun, but, but like a, a, a faction or a, 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 basically it's the idea of, of a choice, a separation. And so in the biblical context, and this is the way Paul uses the word, it's the way Peter uses the word, I don't remember if the other authors use it, but Paul and Peter both definitely use this word, what they're talking about is a separation, a choice other than the established doctrine, right? Basically, other than what's true. So I'll actually give you a, um, I'm going to give you kind of a two-part definition here. What are we talking about when we talk about a heresy? We're talking about any teaching that's contrary to the established doctrine, right? That which is, that which is true, that which is established. So, especially thinking back to chapter one, where do we get established doctrine from? Where are we going to get our established doctrine? Are we going to get it from the traditions of the church? Are we going to get it from the wisdoms of, of man and philosophers? <laughs> no, we get our established doctrine from the scriptures, right? That whole thing we were just talking about in the, the back half of chapter one. And so I'm going to refine my definition here a little bit. A heresy is, is a teaching. When he, when, he, when he zeroes us in on this in the first couple of verses here, what is he talking about? He's talking about those teachings that contradict what is clearly taught in the Scripture. That's what we're talking about. That's how the term is used in the New Testament. It's how it's used uh, it, really historically in the church. Here's how we use that term. Right? It, it's teaching that contradicts what's clearly taught in Scripture. Sometimes we'll use the word orthodox, right? And so we'll talk about orthodoxy, not capital O orthodox, like Greek orthodox, Russian orthodox. That's a, that's a separate thing. Uh, it, it's orthodox as in uh, correct. It's, it's the right doctrine. And so orthodox doctrine is that which has been accepted by the church for all the way back to the beginning. And then uh, unorthodox or heretical teaching is that which contradicts it, that which contradicts uh, the established doctrine. So here's what that means as we're untangling this. We're actually going to, Peter's going to give us a couple of tests to apply in a minute. 
But, but there's this principle we have to understand as we come to this passage, because there's a danger that we misunderstand what we're being told here. The, the thing we have to realize is that, we're, is that interpretive disagreements over issues that are not established doctrine, right? So interpretive disagreements over issues that are not clear in the Bible, those are not heresies, right? That's not what we're talking about. Peter is not talking about disagreements among believers over, I'm going to use the word, secondary matters. That's not what we're focused on in this passage. Uh, We're talking about core affirmations of the Christian faith, the core doctrines. And and I wanted to be clear about this because I think one of the big problems in the church today, you know, you see so much division and and, and separatism sometimes and Christians sniping at Christians. It's because of a misunderstanding of of what we're supposed to divide over. There's so much needless division over issues that the Bible never tells us to divide over. And and so let let me say this even a little more plainly. It's not false teaching just because you disagree with it. Sometimes we do that, right? We kind of get in our head what we think, and maybe we were taught in our church, and, and we go, okay, that's, that's what's true. And then I go over here and I run into something else. I'm off on vacation. I'm like, ah, die, heretic. Right? There's this, this sense of, ah, it's heresy. It's not false teaching just because we don't agree with it. It's heresy if it contradicts what's clearly taught, what's clearly taught in Scripture. And so that's important. It's, it's important because it keeps us from breaking fellowship over things we're not supposed to break fellowship over. Uh, and there's lots of issues like that. Let me give you a feel for it by naming a few. Right? I mean, some Christians, you know them, I hope, are charismatics. Some Christians are cessationists. They think the spiritual gifts have ceased. Uh, some are amillennialists. Some are premillennialists. Some think babies should be baptized. Others say only adults and older children should be baptized. Some think the earth is old. Some think the earth is young. I could go on. And you probably have a position on all of those issues. Many of you, anyway, have a position on, on, on all of those issues, or at least most of them. I do. I've got a position on all of those issues. And I hope you do, too. We encourage people to think deeply and to dig into things. So we're not saying this morning, ah, just throw it all up in the air and don't worry about stuff. Uh, we are supposed to think critically and deeply about, about Scripture, But we also need to remember this thing, that people who disagree with us on on those kinds of issues are not false teachers just because they disagree. And I'm getting this from Peter, right? So this isn't me up on a soapbox. This is how Peter describes describes it to us. Notice in verse 1, the people we're talking about, and it's actually going to run through the whole chapter, the people he's talking about are not saved. They're not believers. We know this, I'll come back to this in a few minutes. We know it because he says they will be condemned to eternal punishment, right? So the people he's talking about, they're condemned. That's the whole point of those, uh, those illustrations he gives, those, those, those three examples he gives. They're going to hell, right? They're, they're, they're condemned. Christians are not condemned, right? You've, you've, you've heard Romans 8, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when he describes to us the condemnation of those who are peddling the false teachings, you're not condemned if you're a believer. So we're not talking about condemned, we're not talking about uh, fellow believers here. We're talking about people who are not. That takes us out of, that takes us out of the category of interpretive disagreements over secondary issues. Now, 
that's the principle. Uh, does he give us anything? Does Peter give us anything to, to drill down a little bit? So, you know, okay, core doctrine, uh, those core affirmations of the church, which ones? How do we know? Where, where, where are we going to go for that one? Well, Peter does give us actually a couple of tests. He gives us a couple of tests. Um, there, there's a little bit of... The, uh, the first one is, is, is a more firm test, and then the second one is one to pay attention to, because it could go either way, right? You'll see what I mean as I describe it. So two tests. How do I know? Right, so help me, Peter. Give me a little, more, uh, a little more detail. So teaching number one, or test number one, is you look at what it denies. So two tests. You look at what it denies. Right, so what is it denying? You can tell if it's false teaching by the things that it denies. Peter says that in the next line. He says they will bring in destructive heresies. Here's an, here, and he kind of takes the, the, the example that, that defines the rest, uh, even denying the master who bought them. So what's a destructive heresy? Well, it's denying the master who bought them, he says. So look at what they say about Jesus and about salvation. That's that. It's, it's, a, it's an, uh, a beautiful phrase he, he coins here, but he's talking about Christ, the person of Christ, and the mechanism of salvation. Right? So what does it say about Jesus? Or is what they're saying about Jesus true? Does it line up with what the scriptures teach about him? Are they denying the virgin birth? Are they denying his sinless perfection? Are they denying his full humanity? Are they denying his full deity? He's both fully God and fully man. Are they denying the historical reality of his death on the cross? Do they say, no, he didn't really die on the cross? Are they denying the physical nature of his resurrection? Are they like, yeah, he, he rose in his, his followers' hearts. He didn't really rise from the dead. Are they denying the resurrection? Are they denying the Trinity? Right? That's part of our understanding of who Jesus is. I know it's a, it's a tough doctrine, and we kind of affirm it by faith in the end, but, to, but the Trinity is one of those core, because it has to do with the person and the nature of Christ. Are they denying justification by faith alone? Are they saying we're saved by works? Right? That's, that's a non-negotiable. We're not saved by works. Are they denying that Jesus is going to come back someday? It, it, the timing of it is secondary, but the fact that he's coming back is core. It's essential. It's actually an essential part, which is why most of chapter 3 is going to focus on it, because apparently these false teachers were, were questioning it. It's that sort of stuff. It's a doctrinal test. So again, not all of my favorite pet secondary doctrines, but the core things, Christ and him crucified. You know, I love that verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. I, 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 I uh, resolved to know nothing while I was among you except Christ and him crucified. There's the core, Paul says. Christ and him crucified. So what does it deny? Does it deny the master who bought them? Number two, the second test, and this is the one where you watch for this one, uh, and, and they might just be believers who really need to repent, but it's also quite possible that they're false teachers. That's the second test, and it's what they're promoting. What are they promoting? If a believer promotes any of these things, they better, he or she better repent real quick. Uh, but, but when it's consistently promoted, you're, you may well be dealing with a false teacher. So what are they promoting? Uh, Peter talks about this in a few places in our passage this morning. And actually, it'll feed from those examples that I'll come back to next week. When you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, you look at the world before the flood, uh, it's this same sort of stuff, which is why he picks those examples. Uh, so so I'll give you three uh, that he focuses on. The first is sensuality. He mentions that in verse 2. Uh, right? And so uh, it talks about uh, they, 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 the, the sensuality he talks about. Many will follow their sensuality, he says. That's what they're promoting. 
and people who get sucked in by them and deceived will start to follow them in that. And so false teaching promotes that. It promotes um, lies about sexuality, right? It's lies about human sexuality. So the Bible says uh, one thing or one set of things about sexuality. False teaching says, no, that's not right. It's this over here. It's this other thing over here. False teaching promotes greed. There's another one. If you see greed, he talks about that in verse 3, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So watch out for that greed. Right? If, if, it's, you know, if you're trying to figure out if that, that TV preacher or that online guy is, is, uh, is legit, well, if it's all about money, or largely about money and prosperity and success, and if all of what they talk about is how God wants you to be wealthy and God wants you to be prosperous, if, if that's what it's all about, be careful of that. Right? If that famous pastor has his own private jet, if he owns more cars than you own shoes, if he, if he lives in a mansion or two or three, watch out. Now, he, he might just be a greedy man who needs to repent of his materialism. It's possible you could go back to his doctrine and his doctrine is sound. He just needs to repent and he's got sucked into some worldliness. That's possible, but it also is possible that you're, you're dealing with a false teacher who's promoting greed, right? who's promoting that greediness. Uh, there's another one Peter talks about here. And it's one of those sure signs. Uh, he talks about um, despising authority. So it's all the way at the end there in verse 10. He says, false teachers uh, despise authority. And so promoting, what are they promoting? They're promoting the rejection of authority. Now, what authority? I, I think in context, it's this authority, right? They're promoting, they're despising the authority of the scriptures. And, and I, would, I would say the creeds, but really it's the scriptures in the end, right? Because this is what we believe. And so, uh, you know, the false teachers, you know, we, we say we stand on this and we stand on, you know, and then we'll, a lot of times that's the function of, a, of, you know, things like the Apostles' Creed or our church's statement of faith. Those are um, human attempts to distill what the perfect word of God says. And so, you know, we'll have those. What false teachers do is they come along and they say, oh, we know better. We, we, we you know, yeah, the Apostles' Creed says blah, 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 but, but we think it's this. Or yeah, that verse says this, but but we think it's this over here. We think, you know, we're enlightened now in the 21st century. We know better on, on this thing or that thing. Uh, they despise authority. They despise authority, uh, Peter says. I mean, if you see that, if you see that refusal to submit to the authority of the Scriptures, that's a, a pretty good sign uh, that you're dealing with false teaching. So, so what are we talking about? What is false teaching? Well, that there's what we're talking about. It, it's it's not, we, we don't, 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 let's not get sloppy, right? It, false teaching is not everything that I don't disagree with. Uh, false teaching is the category we use for teaching that contradicts what's clearly taught, the, the core affirmations of the Christian faith in the scriptures. So number two, number two, let's ask uh, question number two here. Uh, the second question is, uh, why is it dangerous? Right, so, so what, again, what's the big deal? I mean, we live in a culture that, for the most part, is kind of all about live and let live, right? Let people kind of do what they want to do. Why, is, why are the sirens blaring? Why is this chapter so intense with all these intense illustrations and talk of judgment? And Boy, wait till we, you know, the, the back half of this chapter is even more intense than the front half. Uh, what's the big deal here, Peter? Why is it so dangerous? Why are you so upset about this stuff? Well, he gives us three reasons. I see three reasons here that false teaching is so dangerous, why we have to take it so seriously. Number one, the first reason is that it is deceptive. 
It's deceptive, and, and so it leads people away from what is true. False teaching leads us from the truth. Uh, that's this idea of, of secretly, the deceptiveness of it. It's right there in verse 1. Uh, the word uh, secretly means to, uh, to sneak in from the outside. It's, it's what that word means to kind of sneak in on the sly. It's almost like a spy, right, or a, a double agent. You thought he was on your side, but then, you know, surprise, he's really been collecting data for, for the other side, right? It's, it's, it's deceptive. It's inherently deceptive. That's what false teaching is. It's, it's sneaky. Right? Peter's word. It's, it's secret. It's sec- it comes in secretly. Uh, you see this in uh, the other part of what he says there. He says they will, uh, it's in verse 3. He says they will exploit you with false words. False words. That really stood out to me and I was um, studying it because the word here he uses for false is, is not your typical Greek word, right? So there's kind of a usual Greek word you use for false. Paul uses a, a, a much more rare word. In fact, excuse me, Peter. Peter uses a much more rare word. Um, In fact, his use of this word, this is the only place in the New Testament where one of the authors uses this Greek word for false. The other times it's used, they they want the idea of something being not true, they'll use the more common word. This word, I'll teach you a little Greek this morning, this word is plastos. Plastos. Does it sound familiar? Plastic. We, we actually get it's the same derivative idea. We get the plastic comes from, right? And I think it's such an, an evocative picture of what we're dealing with. with, uh, with and the word means uh, to be fabricated or counterfeit. Right? So it looks like the real thing, but it's not. It's plastic. Right? Do you ever go to somebody's house and there's this beautiful bowl of fruit on the table? You're like, yeah, I'm kind of hungry, thanks. And you, you reach out and, ah, <laughs> that's not a real apple. That's just a piece of plastic, right? It's just this little resin or whatever it is. Or you'll do this with plants. I've, I know I've, I've had this experience. Maybe you have. You go to some commercial building of some kind and this beautiful fern. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. It's amazing. And you get a little closer and it's just plastic. It's not, probably shouldn't be touching it, I suppose. But, uh, it's, 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 it's fake, right? It's not the real thing. It's, it's, it's plastic. It's fake. That's the word. That's what false teaching's like. It, it looks like the real thing. It sounds true, right? It looks true. It sounds true. I'll go to heaven if I'm a good person. Right? As long as, my, as, long as I got more good things I do than bad things that I do, right? As long as there's more good than bad, I'm sure that'll be good enough for God. Right? That sounds good, right? It makes a lot of sense, and that's how a lot of us live our lives, right? If you, if you do more good than bad, as long as the bad isn't really bad, you know, you'll keep your job. You won't lose your job, right? We, we kind of figure that's, that's how it must work with God, too. All roads lead to the same God. Love makes a family. My body, my choice. These kinds of things, they all make sense on a certain level, right? They sound intuitively right to human ears. But when you pick them up, when you try to build a life on it, when you try to live it out, it, it, it's fake. It doesn't work. You're, 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 eating, you're eating plastic. And so it's deceptive. Why is false teaching dangerous? It's dangerous because it, 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 it's a lie. At the heart of it, at the core of it, it's a lie. It's not just a, a difference of opinion. It's a lie. It's a lie. Number two, the second, uh, the second reason uh, false teaching is dangerous uh, is that it's defamatory. It's defamatory. False teaching hurts our reputation. It hurts, uh, and by our, I mean in the broad sense, it hurts, it makes Christ and his church look bad. And that's bad. You know, I wanted a, a word with D. <laughs> but uh, it's just, it, it just 
makes us look bad is, is kind of the idea here. Uh, it, it's bad for our witness. He talks about this in the second half of verse 2. He says, many will follow, talking about the false teachers, many will follow their sensuality, and because of the false teachers, the way of truth, that core true, that the Bible that we're talking about, the way of truth, Christ and him crucified, it will be blasphemed. Uh, the New International Version says that they will bring the way of truth into disrepute. That's this idea of reputation. They will bring the way of truth into disrepute. So that's the irony with, with this whole subject we're, we're, we're dealing with and we deal with uh, in every age. Sometimes, sometimes the world, worldly people are actually smarter than the Christians are when it comes to this issue. Not always, but sometimes. See, some, Christians fall for the lies, right? They get sucked into the stuff. Meanwhile, the world looks on and says, that's not what you guys are supposed to believe. That's, I've, I've read a couple of history books on this. I, that's not what Christians believe, right? And so you'll, you'll see it with the, the prosperity gospel, right? And, and you'll get all of this emphasis on, on wealth and, and materialism and, and being rich and, you know, all this kinds of stuff. You'll get all this emphasis on it. And the world, meanwhile, is like, but wasn't Jesus really poor? Right? I mean, what about your mother Teresa over here? What are you doing with a private jet and, and your $900 sneakers when, when, you know, what are you doing? Right? I think the world sees this sometimes. They see it with politics, and it's every end of the spectrum, you know, left, right, top, bottom, all of them. Right? There, there's, there's, you get these situations where churches become all about power. Right? We get co-opted sometimes. Again, all, you see it on every end of the spectrum. And the world, you'll get, you'll get worldly people sometimes who will go, but why thought your Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? Why is it so important to you to get elected and, and get your people elected? You'll see it with sexual ethics. That's another place where, again, I think oftentimes, some, sometimes, sometimes the world sees more clearly than we do when we get sucked into these things. And so you'll have, you'll have these odd instances of people in clergy collars kind of promoting you know, homosexuality and multiple relationships and all this kind of stuff. And meanwhile, the world's over here going, I really thought you Christians were all about marriage. And, you know, and, and, and again, some in the world love that kind of stuff because, well, it, it condones what, they, what many of them would want to believe. But, but you'll get these other cases where even sometimes the world sees more clearly. And, and, and I think this is the idea of what's going on here. False teaching causes the way of truth to be blasphemed among believers by deceiving them, but among non-believers too, by, by, by promoting lies. It comes from that deceptiveness. It takes lies, it tells lies about God, and then it promotes those lies, and that defames the reputation of Christ and his church. He'll outlast it all. He wins in the end, but it's still dangerous because of that. So that's number two. And then finally, the, the third reason, the third reason that false teaching is so dangerous that Peter clues us into, is that it's destructive. Right? And we use this word before we come back to it now. It's, it's destructive. And this really, it does flow right out of the first two. Uh, because it's deceptive, because it's blasphemous, it therefore destroys things. A and it destroys things in this life, right? It's destructive in this life. And so he talks in verse 3, he says, it'll exploit you or they will exploit, excuse me, they will exploit you. False teaching will exploit. Uh, if you've ever had a, a, an, a, like a parent or a grandparent who gave money to some, you know, televangelist and your, your relative couldn't afford it, 
right? I, my grandmother did that. One of my, my grandmothers, she was given hundreds of dollars. She was living in a trailer in a trailing park, and she was given hundreds and hundreds of dollars back in the 1980s to, I think it was Jim Baker, right? It's that, they will exploit you. In their greed, they will exploit you. It's that, uh, it, so it's destructive, right? It's destructive in this world. Um, bad, that bad reputation we talked about from verse two. There are many people who say, oh, those Christians are such hypocrites, they're such hypocrites. Their Bible says that they're not supposed to commit adultery, but here they are over here promoting, you know, and, and they'll call us out on it sometimes. It's, it's destructive that way. Uh, and then the deceiving to sin. And the, 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 many will follow them in their sensuality, that idea. Right? And so it's destructive that way. Uh, there, there are instances where believing Christians are deceived by some of these false doctrines. That's why Peter's taking it so seriously. And so it's, decept- it's destructive in that sense as well. But the ultimate, really the one he focuses on the most here, and you'll see it with his examples, is that eternal condemnation. And that's where the ultimate destructiveness comes in. It destroys people by leading to the eternal uh, judgment of God. And so again, it goes back to you know, that point I was making at the beginning. We're, we're not talking about brothers and sisters who have you know, a genuine, uh, uh, genuine ideas on other subjects. Yeah, here's the difference. Um, your... Uh, your uh, Pentecostal friend, your Pentecostal friend's theology of the Holy Spirit is not going to send her to hell. Okay? Um, I think she's wrong. Uh, But heaven is going to be filled with Pentecostals. There's going to be a lot of them up there. If you can't get along with them, you better start practicing because there's going to be a lot of them up there. Why? Because even if their doctrine of the Holy Spirit could use some some tweaking, uh, right? And that's obviously mine, right? A little this is maybe we'll get there and we'll find out they were right and I'm wrong. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. But, but you see, <laughs> even if their doctrine on that secondary issue is wrong, they got the core. They understand that they're saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And they're not saved because they do or don't speak in tongues. They're saved because Jesus died on the cross for their sins. That thing we're going to celebrate. That wonderful, wonderful thing we're going to celebrate in a few minutes with the Lord's table. And so that's the, uh, the other reason I, f- I really wanted to emphasize this morning. We're talking about the stuff that sends people to hell. That's the stuff that Peter is, is focusing on here. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It's a fancy way of saying uh, they will be judged. He says they will be judged. You can count on it. I can't tell you when, but I can tell you they will for sure. And that's those examples. We will answer some of those questions we have. We'll go through 4 through 10 a little more next week. But basically, all you have there are three examples where Peter says, look, God judged wickedness in the past. He judged it with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. He judged it with the people who lived in Abraham's, excuse me, uh, well, yeah, Abraham and Lot's day. And he judged it with the angels who fell in the past. If he judged wickedness then, I guarantee you, Peter says, he will judge this wickedness too. He will judge the false teachers. You can count on it. And so why is it dangerous? Well, it's dangerous because it condemns people to hell. Right? False teaching, there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake here. Those who promote it will be condemned. And the danger is that someone who, is that one of us, right? So one of us uh, would, would be deceived and be led in that direction as well. Right? So that kind of, that hangs there. Be alert so that you don't get stuck in that same position with them. It's dangerous. It's deceptive. It's defamatory. It's destructive. There's a, a snake in the Middle East. 
a type of snake. It's uh, actually modern, uh, it's native to modern-day Iran. So it doesn't have a big area where it lives, kind of the western deserts of what is today Iran. And it's called the spider-tailed viper. The spider-tailed viper. And the name tells you everything you need to know about this snake. Uh, The spider-tailed viper is a snake. It's a viper, so it's a particular kind of snake that falls in the viper category. But it also has a little bulb on the end of its tail. So kind of like a rattlesnake. You know how rattlesnakes have that rattle at the end of its tail? Um, A spider-tailed viper has this little thing at the end of its tail that looks just like a spider. And it really does. I actually thought of showing you a video of this just so you could see what it looks like in action, but then I thought, spider, snake, I I just didn't want to freak people out too much. (laughs) In fact, it's a little creepy to watch. But if you really like that kind of thing, you could go just Google spider-tailed viper on on YouTube. You'll find a a video pretty quick. And uh, and so here's what this thing does. Since I won't show you the video, I'll tell you what he does. So the spider-tailed viper will lie perfectly still there in the, in the desert and the dirt and among the rocks. It'll lie perfectly still on the ground, and it blends in perfectly. Its coloration is such that if it's not moving, you can't see it. You cannot see this thing there on the ground. And then it will start to flick its tail. Just that little bit on the end. It'll just flick it back and forth. And it looks, I, I kid you not, go watch the video. It looks just like a spider running around there on the ground. I couldn't tell the difference. So the snake will do that until it attracts the attention of a bird. Some bird will be flying up above looking for his own meal. And the bird will look down and the bird does not see the snake. All the bird sees is a tasty spider. And so the bird flies down, it lands next to the spider, goes to grab it, and the snake grabs the bird. And that's it for the bird. That's what false teaching's like. That's what false teaching does if we're not careful. It looks like something good, right? Something healthy, something true, something that we want. To a bird, it's a spider. Uh, To us, it's maybe a successful life or to please God or have a happy relationship or whatever it might be. It looks like something good, but it's false. It's fake. It's a lie. And if we believe it, it destroys. And so be alert, Peter says. Watch out for false teaching. Know what it is. Know that it's dangerous. And be alert. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, your, your um, peace, uh, your help, your strength. Um, I don't have time this morning, but we'll come back next week to the promise here that you protect your people. You know how to preserve the righteous. And you preserved righteous Lot in the midst of a, a den of false teaching and iniquity. You preserved Noah. Uh, you will preserve us. And we thank you for that. We lay hold to it. Uh, At the same time, let us not uh, become complacent. Let us not take these things for granted, uh, but rather help us to be uh, alert, to be aware, uh, to pay attention, and to to really to focus on what you focus on, to understand that 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 core gospel is, is so important and not to be compromised, not to be turned from. Uh, Protect us, Lord. Protect your church. Protect your people. Protect our families. It's in Jesus' name we ask all this. Amen. This is the the first Sunday of the month, and so we are also going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And uh, the Lord's Supper, let me say a few words from it, about it, and then I'll invite the elders to come forward, or the guys who are serving with me this morning. Uh, The Lord's table is for God's people. 
And it's where we celebrate what we just talked about. It's where we celebrate what Jesus did for us, how it is we're saved. And so if you've given your life to Jesus, if you uh, have, have surrendered your life to him and accepted him by faith, the bread and the cup are for you. And we encourage you to participate. Uh, if you've not trusted in Jesus, nobody's, you know, we're not judging or anything, but just let that plate pass when it's offered to you. Because it really is it's symbol, it's symbolic of what we believe as Christians. So if you don't believe it, then, then let it pass, please. Uh, I also wanted to say if you have uh, children, if you have young children, um, then you as a parent know where your child is at. And so we leave that to you as parents. Sometimes parents will ask, what are we supposed to do? Um, your child is welcome to participate if you are um, sure of where your child's at with the Lord. So that's for you. Uh, the, uh, the symbols, as I just said, are about the core of our faith. They're about what we, what we believe. And so the bread represents the body of Christ. Jesus said that this is my body broken for you. Uh, he's saying this symbolizes, this is going to help you remember what I did. He went to the cross and his, his physical body was broken to the point of death. His bones weren't broken, but, but he, was, he, was, he was afflicted uh, for us. And, and the bread reminds us of that. He substituted his death for our death. And then the juice, the juice reminds us of his blood. It represents his blood. He paid the penalty for our sin. And so when we talk about being forgiven, it's, it's not a legal fiction. We are genuinely forgiven. He has, he has paid the penalty that needed to be paid so that that guilt and that sin can be removed from us when we confess our sins to him. And so we are forgiven, and the blood reminds us of that, that the penalty has already been paid by our perfect, sinless, eternal Savior. For those of you watching with us uh, online or at home, um, we invite you to participate with us. Uh, go get some, some crackers and some kind of juice, some sort of fruit of the vine there to, to celebrate with us. Uh, for those of you in the auditorium, we are going to bring you the trays. We've uh, gone back to that now, uh, and so, but we're still using these little cups. And so if uh, the men who are serving could come forward, please. And as they're coming forward, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for our Savior, Jesus. Uh, thank you uh, for uh, your plan from eternity past to do what needed to be done. The only plan, it's not like this was plan B or that this was plan A, but there was a B, C, and D that you might have done. This was the way to save your rebellious sinful people. This was the way to restore us to yourself. We thank you that you loved us so much, and you loved your own glory so much, those, those things that you purposed to do this. And so the second person of the Trinity, the Son, became our Savior Jesus. He was born into this world, becoming fully man and fully, uh, as well as still fully God. He lived a perfect, sinless life, never strayed from your will, never failed to do your will, never rebelled against you, and then took upon himself the punishment of the strayers and the rebels. My punishment, our punishment. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for affirming that you received that, that you received that sacrifice paid in full when you raised Jesus from the dead and gave him that, that first fruits resurrection body that someday everyone who was raised to life in Christ will have one like it. Thank you for all of that. Thank you for this bread which points us to Jesus, this cup which points us to him. Lord, please forgive us for any sins we've committed that we've not confessed to you, even as these cups are passed. Um, bring to mind anything that we've 
not turned away from. If there's any sin we've been giving safe harbor to, we need to expel it and, and send it out into the deepest oceans and, and not have anything else to do with it. If we need to repent and, and turn from that, please bring that to mind as well, that we might uh, receive your forgiveness, receive your cleansing, and come before you with clear consciences. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.